Hi, sports fanatics. We are Luca Vitale. Ryan Walterman. And Ben Schmidt. Let us introduce you to a weekly favorite sports podcast on KCOU 88.1 FM. On Around the Wave, several guests and us provide you the most thorough Mizzou sports coverage. Also, NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL coverage where we debate. Healy's hero right here is Jordan Bennington, and he's kind of just been the story all year. But uh, in the last couple of games, besides the Coyotes game and the Avalanche game, he's, he's looked like his 2019 form, I would say. First of all, you are misinforming the American public. That's number one. Number two, everything you just said is absolutely blasphemous. Okay? Everything you just said. Jordan Bennington's looking like his old self. Provide legendary list. Number five on my list, the Los Angeles Chargers. Why? They snatched its long-term solution on the O-line and Rashawn Slater. He's offering, he's going to offer reliable protection for Justin Herbert, which we saw he was a star last season. And give bold predictions. If I'm being honest, even with all the new talent that the New York Giants added on offense, I still think they fail with Daniel Jones at the helm, and he's reduced to nothing more than a backup within the next few years. So join us every Friday morning at 10 o'clock Central Time on KCOU 88.1 FM. We hope to see you there. And uh, happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, and alongside me are my co-hosts, Ryan Walterman and Ben Schmidt. How are we doing, fellas, on this fine Friday and cold Friday? Fantastic. One one last show before we head home for Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm ready to go, ready to talk some football. Yeah, ditto. I'm very excited for today's show. It should be a good one. All right, before we get rolling here, first things first is some news on Mizzou sports. Mizzou football will play its final home game of the regular season against its SEC rival, the Florida Gators, at 3 o'clock Central Time. The Missouri Tigers enter this contest with a 5-5 five and five record with an impressive defensive performance last weekend against the South Carolina Gamecocks, forcing three turnovers, one for a touchdown last weekend. Meanwhile, the reeling Florida Gators are looking for solutions defensively, allowing 52 points to Samford last weekend and 40 the previous weekend against South Carolina. Mizzou men's basketball was victorious on their home court last night in a 54-37 win against Northern Illinois thanks to their stifling defense in Kobe Brown's third career double-double. Mizzou women's basketball took down St. Louis University on Wednesday night, 63-53 on the road. This is the first time the women's basketball team has started the season 3-0 since the 2015-2016 season. All right, gentlemen, let's get going here with some Mizzou football here. They are currently 5-5 five and five on the season on a two-game winning streak thanks to a South Carolina victory in the previous weekend was Vanderbilt, so two SEC victories in a row. Some of us especially me, question if they would even get to this point, which is winning five games. Now that they have won five games, their chances of winning six games is actually and becoming bowl eligible has actually become a real possibility. On the other hand, the same could be said about the Gators, who are also 5-5, five and five, but they have been trending in the wrong direction, which has been in displayed the last two games. So, Ben, I will start with you here. Which team is going to become bowl eligible this weekend? I think this is a, a tough one to predict. I, I definitely believe that there will be a massive sense of urgency for both teams. One for Florida to kind of stop this downhill slide. Even though they won last week, it was a pretty ugly win with the amount of points they gave up to Sanford, that being 52, and I think it was 40 or something in the first half alone. So they're, they're, despite the fact they won last week, they're still not really on an upward projection. And the fact that it's even a conversation for them, a team that lost to Alabama by one point early in the season to potentially miss a bowl game is kind of frightening. And then for Mizzou, I mean, you, you, it's 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 not quality teams that they beat in South Carolina and Vanderbilt, but a win is a win, and especially in the SEC. So to get them to that point is is pretty impressive. But I think I think Mizzou should have the bigger sense of urgency, if if you can even say that, just because they have a pretty an even tougher test next week in Arkansas on the road. The 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 rivalry that's gone on there. So I I I think they would really. Uh, obviously, you want to, we want to win every football game, but to to knock it out at home and get into a bowl here this weekend before before you leave Columbia and head to Arkansas, I think I think we'll see we'll see Mizzou play with a lot of purpose this weekend. They will will try to limit the Connor Bazel like turnovers because he had three of them, three atrocious ones last week in South Carolina that almost cost Mizzou the game where they were leading the whole game and it led South Carolina get back in it. But uh, I I I expect. To see Coach Drinkowitz, kind of, it's the kitchen sink game where you throw everything at him. First of all, I would like to compliment the Mizzou defense for the first time this season. 
They actually played with passion last weekend. They played with passion. That's what you are looking for for a defense, stopping the run and forcing turnovers on defense. They did that last weekend, and that is how they won the game. They forced three turnovers, and that is the reason why Mizzou won the game last weekend. If it was not for the Mizzou defense last weekend, they would have lost by 20, if it was if it was up to me, because Bazelak looked like garbage yet again. He is a mediocre quarterback, and once the season's over, he better be opening the transfer options because he will not be starting next, next season. I don't care what anybody says. First things first, Tyler. Tyler Beatty is going to be going off this weekend. If it was not for Bryce Young, Tyler Beatty would be probably SEC Offensive Player of the Year. He is the number one running back in the SEC. He has been carrying this team the past few weeks without the defense, ignoring the defense this last weekend. However, he did play a really good game. He had a 200-yard game against the South Carolina Gamecocks and then against Vanderbilt two weeks ago as well. The only team in the SEC that has really stopped him was the number one defense in the SEC in the Georgia Bulldogs. That's it. So when we go, when he goes against one of the worst run defenses in the country this weekend, against the Florida Gators, number 78th in the country, giving up about 157 yards a game rushing, South Carolina was better at stopping the run statistically before this weekend against Florida. And look what happened to them. So Beatty has a really good chance, in my opinion, this weekend putting another 200-yard-plus 200, 200 run this weekend, and he's going to get even closer to Devin, we- Devin West's single-season rushing record. So as of right now, if people that are, are interested, Devin West has 1,578 rushing yards. That is the record, the season record. Beatty is at 1,247. So he's close. So there's two more games, and I think Florida's going to be a good game to get even closer. And let's cut to the chase here. Florida's defense is not good here. They're not good. That used to be the pride of Florida, if you're if everyone wonders that. And by the way, they allowed not Stanford, Samford. They, although that would be just as bad. That would be just as bad. They allowed Samford to allow 42 points in the first half. 42 points. They allowed 42 points in the first half against a team that I didn't even know existed before this weekend, okay? They ended up with 52 points, this team, okay? And in the past four games, Florida has allowed, let's see here, 34, 49, 40, and 52 points. They almost won 0-4 in those games. They're 1-3. They're 0, they would have been 0-4. If it wasn't for Sanford, it took them 70 points to beat that team. And I don't even know who that team even is. They fired the defensive coordinator. We all know that. But this is not Florida football right now. They are horrible. They're actually worse than Mizzou, in my opinion. So, actually, I wouldn't be surprised if Missouri didn't exceed its average of 40 or 31, excuse me, 31 points this weekend. The secondary for Florida is garbage. And Mizzou actually looks better now. So in my opinion, Mizzou is wants this game more. Florida just wants the season to end because they are awful. And this is the game, in my opinion, that Dan Mullen will either keep his job or will lose his job. 100%. Dan Mullen definitely on the hot seat. So two big ifs from this game for me is obviously... If Tyler Beatty can get going at 200, 209 yards last weekend, I think he should have no problem. Like you said, Florida has a really bad rushing defense, so Beatty should be okay. The other big if is who is going to be starting at quarterback for the Tigers. If it's Basilek, that's fine. But, man, like Ben said, he, and I was at the game last weekend, he had some really bad interceptions, and he just some of the plays he made would just, I don't know what he was thinking. So that's a big if. I don't know who's going to start. Would like to see Macon out there, maybe even Cook, but if Basilek does get the start, Starting not, he's got to be a lot much better than he was last weekend. And another thing for this Mizzou defense, although they have been very good, and I am very happy you praised them, Luca. The problem is they they almost let South Carolina come back in that game. I think the Carolina scored like three times in the last quarter, and that just can't happen. Uh, I know that Florida is 
you know, they're a five and five team, and they have been very bad this year. So I, there's no reason why the, the Tigers shouldn't be bowl eligible at, after this weekend. I think the Tigers, like you said, they won it more. They've been playing really good. This, I think, this might be the game between two two teams that have really bad secondaries. Uh, Missouri doesn't have the best secondary, but I think that uh, they will do a lot better this weekend. I think Chris Abrams Drain has finally figured out how to not get torched in the backfield so much. And one thing that really just kind of scares me though, and it, we talk about this time after time the Tigers defense is very good but in a game that tomorrow where their quarterback the Forest quarterback literally is their rushing leader yeah, as well Emory Jones he is a good rusher and I got to give him credit for that and that's the problem because obviously they're going to be doing a lot of QB sneaks and that's something that I feel like the Tigers have been struggled with this year so that's something that I think Drinkwitz is going to really talk about and I think, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think that they should be fine tomorrow. I don't understand why the Tigers can't win this game and can't be bowl eligible. Well, I'll say this. Emory Jones is a really good quarterback. He can throw the football. He threw six touchdowns last weekend. Yet again, he played against the nobody. So if we're going to talk about that, we talk about the running game. Florida has a really good running game. They have a really good quarterback. We get that. However, their defense is horrible. It is garbage. So if you look at it, I actually could compare it to a bad high school football team's defense. That is how bad it really is. So when I look at it, and then I can and I combine the fact that Basilak is most likely starting tomorrow, who has really struggled these last couple of weeks. Like I say every weekend, the focal point of the Missouri offense is Tyler Beatty. Run the football. That is what your identity is. It's not hard. So if I'm going to summarize tomorrow's game, I'm going to say Missouri is going to continue its defensive dominance. I'm not going to say they're going to keep Florida beneath 200 rushing yards because I think it's going to be really close, and that's going to be due to a lot of credit for Emory Jones there. Um, but I'm going to say Missouri is going to win tomorrow. They are going to win tomorrow because they have more passion than Florida does. It took They allowed 52 points against a team that I actually had to Google last weekend because I know who Samford was. So... I'm going to say Missouri tomorrow is going to hang 45 points on Florida, and Florida is going to hang 40. That would that would be a very, very fantastic back-and-forth high scoring game. Well, that's actually very similar to mine, which we'll get to in a second. A couple things that led to, led to this score that I came to. So you mentioned the atrocious Florida rushing defense. In their last two SEC games, they gave up 321 and 284 on the ground. That is on the ground alone. And so that's that South Carolina and who else? LSU. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So I don't see any I, – I think Tyler Beatty gets his fifth – 200-yard rushing game of the season, which is absolutely absurd that we're talking about that because that, that just doesn't happen every season to a running back. Five 200-yard rushing games. He's been fantastic, and I think that continues tomorrow. Also, I think the over hits this week. It's at 69 points, and we'll get to it in a second. I have a very high score prediction. I think we see a ton of offense, and both teams score 30-plus points. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, in the last 10 meetings between Mizzou and Florida, no team has won back-to-back games. Florida won last year. Okay. I'm taking the odds, and I'm taking Mizzou to win this one. 40 to 35. Okay, so we're pretty close. Yep. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm just going to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy, but I just, I know that Beatty's going to go off and he's going to, obviously, I think my prediction is three to four rushing touchdowns. He's going to have a really good game. The problem is the, the Tigers passing, I just, I can't go with Basilak being the guy there. I think Omori Jones is better. I think he's going to have a better passing game. You know, I'm going to shock everyone here. I'm going to go Florida Gators 45-42 to over the Missouri Tigers. I don't necessarily think that's a shock. It's not a shock because it could happen. Florida is favored by 8.5 in this game. I can't forget that. Mizzou is the underdog here. It just feels like Florida losing three out of their last four. And I know you have the Georgia loss for Mizzou, but that was mm-hmm. expected. Mm-hmm. I just at, at home, and I think they've got some momentum and urgency. I just that I'm just playing that one this and week. And I'm also looking at the fact that Missouri's playing with more passion than Florida is. Florida looks like they're just they're throwing in the towel. That's exactly what it looks like. Ever since that Alabama game, they look like they've lost it all because this is a team that's going on the field weekly and look like garbage. So I'm not sure what's happening. But anyway, let's go to the NFL now. Week 11 and the NFL season was underway last night between the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons, which was a complete blowout. 25-0 New England won that one. So guys, by focusing on the AFC, we have seen the current playoff teams 
They've been exposed by a lesser team, whether that's the Buffalo Bills losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Baltimore Ravens losing to Miami Dolphins on Thursday Night Football. As a result of that, it is really hard to sort of say the best team in the AFC. So guess what? We're going to figure out who the best AFC team is. Ryan, I'll start with you here. Which AFC team is the most dangerous right now? I think the AFC team that's most dangerous is a team that is currently on a five-game win streak and shut out the Atlanta Falcons last night on Thursday Night Football. Yes, I'm going to go with the New England Patriots. I have think I think they have looked really good. Mac Jones has been very, very good as a rookie. Deion Harris has done really good as well. I think this is just a team that, you know, day after day they go out. They have a really good defense. Speaking of which, it got me 28 points yesterday in fantasy, so thanks, thanks for that, New England. But the Patriots have just looked very, very good. I really thought that last weekend's game against the Browns was going to be good. I actually had the Browns winning that, and then I was literally broadcasting the women's basketball game for Mizzou, mm-hmm. and I just kept getting update after update about how the Patriots are already up like 45. I'm like, wait, how is this even possible? So the Browns just, I really thought, you know, they could be a top AFC team this year, but they just really dropped the ball. And if they play the Lions this week, and if that game's close, I think that tells you everything you need to know about the Cleveland Browns this year. But yeah, and then then they go into a they go into a Cleve, uh, a Carolina team. They beat them 24 to six. A really good close game against the Chargers, where they came out 27 to 24. And then they play the Jets team at, at New in New England, and they won 54 to 13. So really, just not a big game there. But they have just really been scoring a lot of points against these these teams that they're facing. And I just can't stress enough how good Mac Jones has looked coming into this this season as a rookie. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why, how they were able to beat the Browns 45-7. to But let's first talk about who the most dangerous team is. Because I agree with you. It is the Patriots as of right now. This is a team right now that has won five games in a row. Did I think the Patriots, I said at the beginning of the season, I will find the tape, <laughs> that they will, they will win 10 games and they will make the playoffs. It may be more than 10 because they're at seven right now. But the Patriots defense... Let's talk about statistics right now. They are the second best in points allowed per game. This is a team that is allowing 17, about 17 points on average per game. The coaching of Bill Belichick and the offensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels combined with the lack of proven postseason stars in the AFC right now. So I look at Tennessee. You got Ryan Tannehill. You got Baltimore. You got Lamar Jackson. You got uh, you got Justin Herbert for the Los Angeles Chargers. You go to Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. I mean, you can go to the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen if you want to say that as well. They're, these are proven. These are non. These are non-stars that are not proven in the postseason. They have not proven anything to me. The only star in the AFC that has proven anything to me in the AFC right, as of right now is Patrick Mahomes. That is it. The rest of these play, the rest of these quarterbacks in the playoffs right now that I just mentioned to you, what have they proven? They have not proven a single thing to me. And that just shows right now the Patriots can make some noise in the playoffs because the lack of proven postseason stars. When I look at their defense, they are probably, outside of Buffalo, the most elite, opportunistic, lethal, prolific, whatever word you want to say, experience would be another good word, and a mention on the airwaves right now of the New England Patriots defense. If you are a mediocre quarterback in the AFC, as I've seen it now so many times, if you are a mediocre quarterback and you're going up against Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, you're going to be exposed. You are going to lose. And we have seen it with Baker Mayfield last weekend as he was just awful against the Patriots defense. As we have now seen that Baker Mayfield, in order for him to succeed, he needs to have a big window to make throws. He didn't have those last weekend, and he was exposed. We saw it with last night against Matty Ice or Matty Ryan or Matt Ryan. He was garbage too. And they have not played the Broncos this year, but Teddy Bridgewater is another mediocre quarterback. He would be exposed too. And Justin Herbert, he wasn't that great either against the Patriots. The only good quarterback, really, this year that went up against the New England Patriots was about was Patrick was about uh, Dak Prescott. That's it. That's I don't think there's really another good quarterback that went against this team that really looked that great. In Patrick Mahomes, probably one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League. His worst games, I actually found this and statistically, he is the best when he goes up against the New England Patriots. Those are his worst games, and you and you wonder why that is. It is because of Bill Belichick's expertise, how smart he is, how he's able to expose all these quarterbacks, and find their weaknesses and basically say, you're going to beat us 
and we're going to expose your weaknesses, and that's what he does. But I will say this right now. Mac Jones, he may not be the flashiest player you'll ever see. He doesn't put up crazy numbers. He doesn't run the ball. He doesn't put up crazy numbers, doesn't put crazy sidearms like Patrick Mahomes, but he puts his team in a position to win. And that's what he has done this entire season. Consistent con- consistent and fundamental strong play. And that's what you want from a rookie quarterback, especially in a team with a great defense and a great offensive line. And that is why the New England Patriots are right now the most d- dangerous team. I, I do not like the AFC whatsoever right now. I genuinely think that... In the playoffs, there are multiple wildcard teams that could have just as good of a chance as division winners. And I, I believe that, that they're just going to be battling out to eventually lose to an NFC team in the Super Bowl. I think the NFC is a lot more top-heavy as some of the, the, the best teams in the NFL up there. I have to just right now go with the Titans because if you just look – they, they have ran through the gauntlet, and they have beat everyone in that gauntlet. They have another another tough matchup this weekend. But then once they get once they get past these next couple of games, they have a chance to cruise into the playoffs with, with tiebreakers over pretty much every other uh, potential division winner. It worries me a little bit that they have not really ran the football whatsoever the last couple weeks without Henry. But I think Ryan Tannehill is playing really good football. Mike Vrabel is a really good head coach. I don't feel like he gets talked about enough. But I want to I want to mention this a, a game that we should all look forward to for the AFC next weekend. Okay, is you're wrapping up your your post Thanksgiving weekend. You're upset that you got to go back to work for the week. Tune in on that Sunday to Patriots Titans. Mm. That, I think, has yeah. a chance to be a fantastic game. And if the Patriots win that game, I think I'm all in on the Patriots. All right. I, that's going to be a fantastic one. I just have to say the Titans right now, there's not a whole lot into that because if you go down the list, there is a fatal flaw mm-hmm. in every AFC team right now. That's what makes it so tough. I, I, I was close to picking the Chiefs as well. as, as their, Still, their defense still sucks. But when they are rolling on offense, they can outscore you at, at will. So, I, like I said, I think in the AFC, I could be wrong. I think they're going to be playing to lose to a, an Arizona, a Tampa, a, a Green Bay. So, right. we'll, we'll see. I, I don't love the AFC. All right, leaving it on that note, we're going to head to break. And when we get back from break, more NFL sports or NFL here on KCOU 88.1 FM. We'll be right back with you. Station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything new? No. Anything I should know? No. Is everything okay? Yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to connect with teens. Use Connect With Me activity cards to deepen your conversations. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. And we're back, folks. You know what time it is? It's time for Luca's legendary list. And I just want to say a quick point out here. At three last weekend, Luca had the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers did get upset by the Washington football team last weekend. And now we all know that the list is fluid. That's probably one of the best things about Luca's legendary list. The list is fluid. So we'll see if the Buccaneers make a move. If you forgot, last weekend's list after week nine was at five, the Baltimore Ravens at four, the Los Angeles Chargers at three, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at two, the Tennessee Titans, and at one, the Arizona Cardinals. So, Luca, any big changes for this weekend? You know, the, this list is probably the biggest changes you'll ever see of this list because a lot of teams have been picked out because they stunk last week. And I got to admit, the list is fluid. I may be scrutinized for this list, but here we go. Let's go to number five. Please give it to me. The New England Patriots. Why? They have won five straight. They are threatening to take over the AFC East. They are on the Buffalo Bills' heels right now. This is the best coaching job I've ever seen from Bill Belichick. And we got to show some love towards the offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, for a balanced run attack and a pass attack. Mac Jones, he has been showing up these past couple of weeks. He's thrown three touchdowns against the Cleveland Browns last week, and he threw one yesterday. A defense that was projected 
projected to be a top 10 defense last season for the Cleveland Browns, and man, did the Patriots demolish them. You have an elite running back, Rahandre Stevenson. He rushed for 100 rushing yards last week against the Cleveland Browns and two touchdowns. You got effective receivers on the outside in Kendrick Bourne. You got Jacoby Myers and Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry in the tight end position, and that defense is something special. Sixth against the pass in the NFL, and they have showed they showed it last night against the Atlanta Falcons. They showed it against the Browns and Baker Mayfield. You got J.C. Jackson. You got Judon. You got McCourtney. You got Kyle Van Noy. And those dudes, they are something special to watch. Let's go to number four. Please give it to me. The Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia. Stand up. I know they lost to the hapless Jacksonville Jaguars two weekends ago, but did you see what they did to resurrect themselves? They hung 45 points on the Jets. This is the most complete team in football, in my opinion. Josh Allen and what he brings to the table. You got Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders elevating their vertical game. You got Dawson Knox blowing past offensive quarterbacks and making them pay. Their defense is the best in the National Football League. You got Traymond Edmonds, you got Matt Milano, you got Makai Hyde, and Jordan Poyer, and don't forget about Tredavious White and those dudes doing their thing. Number two against the pass, number one in points allowed, number one in yards allowed, and just creating just creating chaos for opposing offenses. Let's go to number three, please. The Green Bay Packers, he's a bad man. And then you got Aaron Rodgers on that team. They got a realistic chance at the number one seed in the NFC. And it's not because of that prolific offense led by Aaron Rodgers and the crew. It is because of that stout defense. Did you see what they did? They shut out the Seattle Seahawks last weekend. They only allowed 13 points to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs the weekend before. Even without Jair Alexander in the secondary, it is still a number third against the pass. Dudes like Devondre Campbell, you got Adrian Amos, you got Darnell Savage. You got to give them credit where it is due. They have held six teams to 20 points or less this season. It is only a matter of time before Aaron Rodgers and that offense starts clicking with one another. Let's go to number two. Please give it to me. The Dallas Cowboys. Why? I absolutely end this. I hate this fan base, but you got to give them credit where credit's due. They absolutely shellacked the Atlanta Falcons last weekend, 43-3, after absolutely getting embarrassed by Teddy Bridgewater the Denver Broncos the previous weekend at Jerry's World. Dak Prescott, he is balling right now, throwing the football accurately, adding enough velocity. MVP candidate, I might add. The receiving room, it is loaded with C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. He is back. Also got to credit uh, Dalton Schultz and Malik Turner, who has actually been pretty fantastic thus far. The defense, it is it is feisty. Front seven getting to the quarterback in this secondary is something special. Got to give love to Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. Top 10 defense against the run. And number one, please give it to me, the Tennessee Titans. Why? They have won six straight games, and half of those are without Derrick Henry. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, he has been playing great football. He has been fine, great receivers on the outside. A.J. Brown and Marcus Johnson throwing the football accurately and just processing information so quickly. The defense has showed up since Derrick Henry went down. you got to credit dudes like Jeffrey Simmons, who has seven sacks in the last two weekends. Harold Landry and Jayon Brown, who are limiting scoring opportunities for opposing teams. And that is my list going into week 11. Floor is yours. I I, have, I I like this list this week a lot. I At the top of it, I think it's perfect. Titans, like I said, even though I don't love them in the long run, or at least not right now, they're still the best team in the AFC as we sit here today. They, they've they had back-to-back really nice wins. Actually, if you just look at it, they've had like five or six nice wins in a row against really good teams. So they're, they're the they did cl- lose to the Jets. They did lose to the Jets, but I, I've, I it's been so long since then I've been willing to move on. It happens. Uh, no, at number two, Dallas. Like I'm not going to take a whole lot of stock in that Denver game. It was coming off a huge underdog win with Cooper Rush in uh, in Minnesota. They were flying high, but uh, they come back this weekend to absolutely flex their muscle on the Atlanta Falcons. I think they have a chance to go into Arrowhead this weekend and beat Kansas City, which in what should be, I, I hope, a fantastic game. I, I uh, it's at, that will be one that I will be tuning into. That's the second in terms of 3:25 on Sunday. At three, the Packers. Uh, that's another one I'm not taking a whole lot. Of stock in that Kansas City loss because there was no Rodgers. Defense has still been spectacular. They held Mahomes at 13 as you mentioned and then last week Russell Wilson did not look like the same quarterback. Whether that be because of the injury or the defense, I don't know, but the, the Green Bay has, looks fantastic and they're only going to get healthier getting back Tiari back, Jair Alexander back, so that team is is, is 
is as built as anyone to make it to the NFC Championship as everyone. We know they're not going to make it past that because Rodgers doesn't win that game. But regardless, the, the Packers are built to win this season. So top three is fantastic. I, I Patriots, like I said, I think if, if they beat Titans, they're just as much a Super Bowl contender as everyone. Um, I don't. Bills at four, like I said, they're 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 fantastic too. They got a tough matchup with the Colts this weekend, but Josh Allen has is, is firmly put his name in the MVP race this year. So, top five is really good this week. I fully expect within a couple weeks Tampa Bay to get hot and end up back up on this list. Same with the Cardinals. I think them healthy are a completely different team, and they'll end up back here as well. But for just for for this, as you mentioned, it changes for this week. I think it's about as good as you can get. Yeah, that's why I really like how the list is fluid because obviously at number one you have the Cardinals who I'm surprised Luca just completely just said nope, you're going off the list. They were and awful. They last were, weekend. but to be fair, and like Ben said in the group text, they really had no one. But to be fair, like yeah, that they did not play good. Uh, Green Bay finally makes the list, and it takes. Until what? Are we going to head into a week 11 here and they still haven't made the list? And now they finally do after they finally learn how to play defense. And, and man, they have played good defense, obviously against the Chiefs. And then they literally did not give up a single point to the Seattle Seahawks. Now, Aaron Rodgers looked very bad, but A.J. Dillon, oh man, he played very good. This defense has been phenomenal. Should be an exciting game against the Vikings this weekend. Aaron Rodgers, I think he'll be back. He'll be okay. And by back, I mean, I know he's going to be playing. It's just last weekend he did not look that good at all and I know he was coming off that COVID so he should be back and healthy fully healthy it amazes me how they're playing so good without the Darius Smith David Vacatari and like you say Jair Alexander so it's really cool to see that they're playing this well and when they get those guys back they should be really really good I don't think there's any way in the world they don't get the number one seed here in the in the in the uh, NFC but we'll see about that um, Dallas, very good team. You know, they have been very exciting to watch. Dak Prescott has to be, I don't understand how he can't be the uh, comeback player of the year. He has been very, very good, getting his team to 7-2. and two. Luka and I both do not like that fan base, but obviously you got to give credit where credit's due. They play the Chiefs this weekend. 325 game should be very, a very exciting game. And then you have, obviously, we ta- already talked about the Patriots, so I'm not going to go into much contact there. It's just their defense has been really what has dragged them onto this list, and Mac Jones playing very good as well. The Titans at one, I like that pick. Obviously they have been very, very good. Now they did go toe-to-toe with the New Orleans Saints team, which if they do win this weekend I could see the Saints making this list as well. But... uh, I don't know. I really like the list. I'm very excited that you changed everyone. There was not a single one that was on here from last weekend, so that's just I believe cool. the Titans are the only one. Oh, the Titans. Yeah. Right. The Titans are the only one. So, I like it, man. I, I really do. Alright. Well, let's move on to Ben's basketball brief here. Um, so, Ben, there's been a lot of uh, chaos in the NBA world this week. I mean, you saw the whole thing about the Brooklyn Nets losing to the Golden State Warriors, and man, those Barkley Center fans cheering for Steph Curry from tip-off. I mean, that's got to hurt, KD. I mean, listen, I love me some Steph Curry. I love the shimmy and all that, but good Lord, if you're a Nets fan, show some respect to KD. I'm allowed to sit at my TV and say, go Steph Curry, because I'm not a Nets fan. Well, see, the thing is, those Nets fans were, were Warriors fans three or four years ago. So that's okay. why it's 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 like uh, you respect a great point guard when you see one. It was cool. Steph in a press conference like last night, a couple nights ago, whenever it was, said it was kind of back to like when the Warriors were on their dynasty run, the MVP chance when, when Steph was at his peak. Not that he's gotten worse since, but that, that Warriors team is absolutely loaded, and I think they just continue to roll. All right, well, do me a favor here. Um, Since we're talking about KD right now and Steph Curry, I'm going to ask you this question here. So obviously we know this, that KD, he left for Oklahoma City. He went to Golden State to join Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala and all those dudes to win a championship. We all know that. Um, And obviously he then left to go to Brooklyn to join Kyrie to form their own culture in Brooklyn. So let me ask you this question. Did he make a mistake? Leaving Steph to join Kyrie, I don't. I don't think so. Um, if you just want to look at it from a ring standpoint, he he would have won. He he or it, yes, he would have. I can definitively say he would have won more rings in Golden State had he had he stayed there. But I think he was a little bit tired of as as good as Katie was, and you could argue that he was their best player on the team at the time. He was never going to get out of Steph's shadow in Golden State, and he was never going to lose that narrative that I think you can tell by his Twitter fingers that he doesn't necessarily love. And 
I think he wanted to go be the guy somewhere else that then you build everyone else around. In Golden State, you are building everyone around Steph Curry. You go you go to Brooklyn, even though they have Kyrie, they bring in Harden. You are building around KD, and it's uh, you need superstars to win t- in today's game, but I think he wanted to be the one superstar. I, I, you can, I mean, just look at it last night. The fans are going to side with Steph Curry, whether it be Warriors fans, Nets fans, NBA fans. I don't think he liked that. Uh, I don't. I think if uh, you can read all about it, the tensions were very high in that final season uh, in uh, Golden State with the Warriors. So, in, in terms of rings, no, it was not the right decision. But in terms of his reputation, him doing what he think is best for him mentally, I think that that's believe Golden State was probably better for him. Okay, well then we're going to go move on more into the Eastern Conference here because a team that's really intriguing right now are the Washington Wizards. In fact, they extended their GM, I believe it was two days ago, that they extended his contract. I mean, they're a very different team. I mean, they got a couple of I wouldn't say misfits, but like a good amount of players that can make noise. That's what I would very, say. Very, very much so. I don't, I don't think anyone expected having be the first seed at, at this point. What, are, what, what are we at here on on Friday, November nineteenth? I don't think anyone expected them to be. They were ten and five going into yesterday after last year barely sneaking into the play-in game. Right. So. But like you mentioned, it's just kind of like a weird group that has come together. They have a very formidable starting lineup when healthy of Dinwiddie Beal, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kuzma, and Daniel Gafford. Like you just look at how this team was assembled. They get Dinwiddie in free agency after Dinwiddie had been out with an ACL injury. Then they get uh, KCP and Kuzma in the uh, the Russell Westbrook trade. Gafford last year from the Bulls. So it's just none of these players were making the most noise on their previous teams, but now they are together and starting, and they're, they're certainly making noise now. I, at this point, they're at the number one seed. I don't think that they are a the they we, they will not finish at that point come end of the season because if you look at it, if, if they have ten wins and eight of those wins are against teams under five hundred, but you can still very much call this team a playoff team because. Bradley Beal hasn't even played some of his best ball yet. He's shooting a couple percentage points lower than his career average. He's also missed a bunch of games due to various injuries. So this team has not been at full strength. I I, I do have my doubts because they're 25th in the league in three-point percentage. So if they get into a a game where it's like the Warriors, where it's just another team knocking down threes all game long, can they keep up? I doubt it. But they're they have shown that they are a very formidable team. They can compete. They beat, I believe, the Bucks, and they kept it close in a couple other games. I think one of them being the Nets. So it's it's a team that can compete, especially at the back half. of The Eastern Conference is not great by any means. I don't have them as a number one seed come April when we get to playoffs. But this is a team. Maybe if they find a way to five, get a five or six seed, it, it, depending on who they play in the first round, maybe we could send this a series to six or seven games. So it's not a bad team by any means, far exceeding expectations. Okay. Well, how about this? You look at more of the Eastern Conference, right? You look at the Miami Heat, and I thought the Miami Heat would be a pretty good team going the season. And so far, I'm right, right? They beat the yeah. Wizards last night. Yep. They actually shellacked them is a better word to say that. Um, and then you got the Chicago Bulls, who you go into this West, uh, the West, the West Coast trip. Excuse me. They beat the both LA teams. Shell- uh, they beat the Clippers on a really good trip, by the way. They beat them real good, and then they just shellacked the Lakers, they, they which bullied, I expected. They bullied them into changing the name of the Staples Center. After yes, the Crypto.com. Yes, <laughs> and then they really messed up against the Trailblazers. They had a twenty-point lead, I believe, going in the first and going into the second half, and they kind of blew it with some really costly turnovers. Uh, Demar Derozan didn't have the best second half, but I mean, you're you're not going to stay hot like him forever. Yep. So I will ask you this: uh, Who's more dangerous? Dangerous. Is it the Bulls or the Heat? Well, one thing real quick on the Bulls. That game against Portland, that was a that was a Jim Boylan era Bulls team. Like that's a that's a game where you see any team under the Jim Boylan Bulls where that second half and it's a game they easily should win and they let it escape. Ah. That that hasn't <laughs> happened a whole lot this year, which which means they are much improved and they're actually a good team. But that 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 game against Portland didn't factor into the decision. I have to go with the Heat. The and it's just the experience and the deeper roster in Miami. If if you look at the the Heat roster, you got Lowry and PJ Tucker both have rings. Lowry in Toronto a couple years ago and P.J. Tucker last year with Milwaukee. And then you go to Jimmy, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. 
all players on that finals team from 2020 against the Lakers. So they've all been there. And then you, you even got other players off the bench. You got uh, Victor Oladipo. You got one of the Morris twins. So it's a very deep rush. Oladipo hasn't even been healthy yet. And you look at potentially adding him into that lineup. So as much as I love the Bulls, Lonzo, Levine, both haven't even been to the playoffs. And Vucevic has been, but hasn't been out of the first round. So Really, you're depending on DeRozan and his experience to carry the Bulls through. The Bulls, without a doubt, can make some noise. But if you're just looking at it, the Heat are a team that I think could compete to come out of the East. It's a coaching mismatch as well. Spolstra is a much better coach yeah. than Billy Donovan. Is is uh, we we should have some very good matchups all year long between the Heat, between the Heat and Bulls. Especially if they were to face in a playoff series, I would be locked in for every single game. But I would say Heat and six. If yeah, I, right I, now. I would say if if I'm picking today, I'd say Heat and six because, like I said, the experience and it's it's just a deeper roster. I don't trust the Bulls bench as much as I trust the Heat bench, especially. Especially with with some of the injuries the Bulls have been dealing with, Patrick Williams is going to hurt long run. I can guarantee that. So it's as good as I think both teams are, and both teams I think can compete with just about anyone. And that was shown this season so far. It, I have to go with the Heat here. All right, and really quick here to wrap this up. Um, are you concerned about the Bucks slow start here? No, I'm not really concerned yet. Uh, keyword yet. It's still early in the season. Uh, they, they've only played, what, 15, 16 games. It's yeah. just a classic. They want a deep title run, and this is still mostly the same team outside of P.J. Tucker leaving that won that finals last year. Giannis actually dominated the Lakers the other night. He dropped 47 on them, so I'm not worried. They're, they've been dealing with injuries. Chris Middleton was on the COVID list, so when they're healthy, they are still a very legitimate contender, and I think they turn around. I think they need to play with a little bit of a sense of urgency, but if you look at it five out of their next six they play thunder magic pistons and pacers i think it was all right so i think they'll be okay then (laughs) yeah there's there's a very real shot they win five out of their next six i can't remember who the sixth team was and in one of those four teams they play twice to get to five so they they should have a little bit urgency but i'm not yet concerned it's Mm -hmm. this team is just way too good all right well we're gonna have to break real quick and then we get back from break nhl news coming up on around the waves on kcou 88.1 fm we'll be right back look at me Busy as a bee, where'd I get all this energy? Oh man, mm, man, I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh man, mm, man, get these hairs all out of my face, get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit, no time to waste. Oh man, mm, man. <laughs> I don't believe it. My savings are gone. Okay, think. Where'd you have them last? I was home, then I spent them on that vacation in this tiny suit of armor. Now they're gone. Weird. Weird? Not really. Not saving now means no money later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Oh, I broke his little gauntlet. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, the Missouri Society of CPAs, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. Luke Vitale here alongside me, Ryan Waltzman and Ben Schmidt. Let's get going here, folks, in some NHL news here. The Anaheim Ducks spent the past three seasons near the bottom of the NHL standings, becoming a frequent subject going into this uh, season of trade speculation. However, their strong start to this season, Ryan, in recent management change, could raise some speculation about the course of their rebuilding process here, just with this hot start that we've seen. Are you buying into these Ducks? Yeah, I'm, I'm buying into the Ducks. And I think it's like you said, we met up a little bit earlier before the show started. They are already two years ahead of schedule. They've just been so good. Troy Terry, he's on a mission from God. This man is tied in the NHL with... Alex Ovechkin in goals, and then obviously Leon Draisaitl and the Oilers have just been off to a great start, and he has 17. He's the league leader. But tied for second with Alex Ovechkin is Troy Terry. Who would have thought that? They have just been very good. The young guys have just been really showing up. I really enjoy Troy Terry, and then you know, I really enjoy Raquel. I think he's been good, and then the uh, the other guy, Zegris, or whatever his name is. I think yeah, he's Trevor Zegris. Yeah. 
Zegris and Troy Terry have just been really two star-studded rookies on this team that have just been really showing up. And I believe, you correct me if I'm wrong, eight-game winning streak before losing last night to a very, very good Hurricanes team, mm-hmm. which they kept it by one. They lost two to one, and that game was very exciting, you know? Yeah, this give is, cro- yeah you got to give props to Frederick Anderson last night. He played really well. He, he really did. But, yeah, this is a team that is in a tough Pacific division, and they're right now in third place. And I know that earlier in the season, I predicted the Kings to maybe be like the Ducks mm-hmm this year, mm-hmm. and the Ducks have just been really surprising, and I know that I'm a big Blues fan, and we did beat the Ducks pretty easily the first time we faced them. The second time around, not so much. The Ducks beat us 4-1, to one, and since then, they've just been off to a gr- really great start, so I'm definitely buying in to the Ducks and how good they are. I know it's people are going to be like, it's so early, but their team's so young. I, I don't think, I mean, the injuries would be the only thing, but their team is so young. There's no reason why they can't keep this up. You know, I got to admit here, um, you're right about the two years uh, going the season. We talked about that before the show. They are two years ahead of schedule. Trevor Zegris, you got Troy Terry, uh, you also got Max uh, Tomatos, and then you got Max Jones. These are the next core players of the Anaheim Ducks. Corey Perry's gone. Uh, you still got Ryan Getzlaff of this team. Uh, Rickard uh, Raquel, he's going to be gone real soon. Uh, Hampus Lindholm. I mean, these are guys are from the last core. These are the these are the players that went up against the Chicago Blackhawks in 2015 the Western Conference Finals. This is when Frederick Anderson was on the Ducks. So, it has been a big change so far. But going into the season, I was looking at the Ducks as a team just like I said before, I was looking at a team that I'm looking at them as a trade market. Who what's going to expire on this team? So, you got core veterans, Ryan Getzlaff like I said, Raquel Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson. These are these were guys that were eligible to become free agents next summer. So they would have been pretty wanted on the trade market going into the the trade deadline, right? But this is a team that going to the season they were in a six game losing streak. Now look what's going on now. This is a team that you're like, whoa, hold on a second, like let's pump the brakes because this is the team that is fourth right now in league scoring, three point five six goals a game. That is insane with a 28.3 power play percentage. When I look at this team, when I look at their defense, and when I see John Gibson, John Gibson is one of my favorite goaltenders in the National Hockey League. I'm sorry I seem biased, but that's just, 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 that's just the case. The Ducks have taken flight since that last six-game losing streak, okay? And because of that, they have been at the, the top of the Pacific Division. And over the last few years... I have always considered John Gibson a top 10 goaltender, but you couldn't because of how bad the defense was. But the only reason he never got the nod to be the Ducks, uh, or excuse me, the Vesna goal, the, the Vesna uh, winner, is because he wasn't good enough due to the experience of the defense. Now we look at the defense and we're like, hold on a second. John Gibson is now due for a Vesna caliber season, and he has been that so far. He has shown me. The NHL world, everybody else, he's on the par with the Veselskis of the world, the Bobrovskis of the world, the Renes of the world. And outside of the Ducks uh, vet defensemen, dudes like Josh Mara and Jamie Drysdale, they need to show more improvement on the defense to give the vets some time off the ice. Like, Kevin Shattenkirk ain't getting any younger. Okay, let's, let's, let's get that ridiculous here, okay? So, yeah. These rookies, they possess the raw talent. We know that. They got the young guns on the defensive side. They sh- they need to show patience. They need to show commitment in order to play that style defense in front of John Gibson, in front of Anthony Stolarz, in order to preserve them come playoff time. And they have done it so far. And I'm particular, very confident in these young core of the Ducks. Lending them to greatness. We all seen the Mighty Ducks. That is a great movie. And this is what's going to be a great movie this year is this team, okay? For the younger players on the offensive side of the puck, we've already talked about Zegers. We've already talked about Terry. We've already talked about Kamatos. We've already talked about Jones. These are guys that I believe will lead the, duck to new, the Ducks to new heights, okay? And if you look at Zegers, if you look at Terry, if you look at Tomatos, I don't know if you know this, Ryan, but... The Ducks had a line between the 90s and the early 2000s. They were one of the best lines in Ducks history. And it was like with uh, Ruchichin, and it was like with Team Mew. It, it was those two players that was on, on that line. 
And that's what Zegris and Terry and Tomatos are going to start doing. It's going to be scary. It's going to be real scary, okay? But then I look at Troy Terry right now. He has the third longest scoring streak in Ducks history. 16 straight games. When I see that, watch out. Yeah, and before we get to pass the puck here, Luke, I just want to mention, obviously you talk about John Gibson, and I, this is why I want to be really high on the Ducks this year, and I hope they can at least get the fourth spot in the Pacific, because John Gibson, been in the league since 2013, and I'm 100% agreeing with him being a top 10 goalie, and this is the year that people are finally going to get to see who John Gibson is. He's been so good every year, and he's just been bailed out by really bad defense, so he wouldn't be able to make the playoffs, but this is the year where John Gibson can take the league by storm. He's already 9-3 and in 9-3-2, and two, I believe, or just 9-3, and three, whatever it is. But he's just so good, and I hope the Ducks can keep this up so people can see that he is a very good goaltender. He deserves to be in the playoffs, and I'm just excited for him. All right. Well, that means, you know what that means, Ryan. We're going to start with pass the puck now. Here's Bozak. He circles around the net, finds Pareko at the line. Pareko fires a shot. He shoots. He scores! Pareko! All right, let's hear this nonsense with your blues. Yeah, St. Louis Blues, obviously off to a really good start. They were 5-0 and at one point. Since then, took a big dip. Or now now 9-5-2, and I believe. Um, yeah, I'm just going to get, you know, I'm just going to get it out of the way. We lost to the Coyotes. And <laughs> it, was, it wasn't even it wasn't You know I would call you. Of you course. knew I would call oh. you. And, I mean, it was perfectly fine. I was, I was mad about it, but I had to give credit where credit was due. Arizona flat out outplayed the Blues. It was, in, it was very embarrassing to see. The Blues cannot lose a game like that, being as talented as they are, third in the Central Division right now. But, yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate to see them start off so hot and then kind of just, I wouldn't say fall too bad, but, I mean, losing the Coyotes, you had to win against the Sharks yesterday, and when they did, 4-1 to win against the Sharks. Brandon Sutt, what a pickup that was for the Blues. He has looked very phenomenal. I know he's a rival. I know he played for the Blackhawks. He played for the Avalanche, two teams that necessarily the Blues don't like. But he has come into the Blues organization. He has done very, very good. I believe he had two last night. And then another big pickup for the Blues. They have Oscar Sundquist finally coming back from that injury. This I think yesterday was only his second game that he played, but he has looked really good. I'm excited for him to get back on the scoreboard. I know it's coming soon. Pavel Buchnevich has looked very, very phenomenal. And that line yesterday with Tarasenko on it was a really, really good move by Craig Berube after getting just basically outplayed by the Arizona Coyotes. He had to make a line change, and he made a lot of line changes. I think Bennington against the Coyotes, I think he was just really tired. He's played a lot a couple of games. And then obviously you saw it yesterday with really Huso going able to play in the backup. Could have gave up two goals, but unfortunately Logan Couture's goal was ruled offsides, so he only gave up one goal. He's looked really good. I think the Blues have been lucky to have really good goalie tandems in the last couple of years. I think Bennington, though, he has looked really good. I'm not going to say that, you know, he's like his 2019 self, which oh, you hear countless you and countless of times on the intro of this show. Oh. Um, but he's looked really good. So I'm just very happy. I think O'Reilly, and just obviously the last thing I'll mention before we get to your Hawks, Vladimir Tarasenko, going into the season, asked for a trade in the offseason, didn't get it. Man, how good has he been? Vladimir Tarasenko, I hope, he's my favorite hockey player, obviously born in Russia. I've loved that man. I will always love that man, no matter what. I'm hoping he's a blue for life. I know it's not going to happen. He's been very, very good this year. So I actually asked this question to you, Luca, then you can get to your Hawks. Okay. Will Vladimir Tarasenko stay on the Blues the whole year? He will not. Um, the reason I say that is because it's only a matter of time before the dude gets injured. Okay? Let's be real serious here because it's Vladimir Tarasenko. Great player. I'm not going to disagree with that. He's one of the best players on the Blues. I mean, obviously you got some younger folks like Costin and uh, Neighbors and those dudes. They're very good. I'm not going to discredit them. But when it comes to Vladimir Tarasenko, when he gets hurt, it takes him like five months to get back on the ice. So only so it's only a matter of time before he demands a trade. Um, I'm not going to say right now, but I'm going to say around the trade deadline, he's going to start complaining again, and the Blues are going to want to trade him. So that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was thinking. I know, obviously, as my love for him and the bias to the Blues, I don't want him to leave. But the way he's been playing, and 
you know, hopefully he doesn't get injured. And if he doesn't get injured, I think that he would have a really good trade stock because just because of the way he's been playing this year. So it, it'll be very exciting. And then the last thing I'll say is the defense pairing has just been, it, it's been iffy a little bit. I can't really say that the defense has been good. But, you know, they were able to make a really big call up for a guy named Scott Pernua. I can't even pronounce his last name, but Panuovich, I'm just going to go with that. Top, top defender in the St. Louis Blues organization was able to finally get his first NHL point yesterday as he assisted on a Robert Thomas goal. I think the Blues just have really good young players, as in Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas. James Neal has looked very solid. I'm happy that they were able to actually pick up his off, pick up his tryout because he's looked really, really good as well. It's a team that is very good. David Perron, obviously, another good player for this team. It's a team that can be very, very good, but then it's also a team that can lose to the Arizona Coyotes. All right, at least you can admit that. All right, let's go to the Chicago Blackhawks. Patrick Kane, sandwich against the boards by Hornquist and Achari, finds Mitchell at the top, stolen by Huberto, but lost control of and finds Keith. Outlet pass to Kane. Kane finds Jabrinka on the left side, shoots, save by Bobrowski, rebound, shoots, it's done! gets a juicy rebound off Bobrowski's save and doubles the Hawks' lead. All right, I'm not going to say the Hawks are back because they're not. Okay. So I understand the Hawks are on this winning streak, right? I don't buy it because when I look at their offense the last couple of games, it's not encouraging. So, yeah, you beat the Coyotes, you beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, you beat the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I get it. But at the end of the day... They don't. They do have new energy under Derek King, or as I like to call him, Walter White, because he looks like the guy from Breaking Bad. Okay, but at the end of the day, when the Blackhawks right now defensively, they are phenomenal right now. Seth Jones looks like he has a purpose on the ice right now. This is the dude that we paid nine point five million dollars to. Okay. Jeremy Colleton, it just proved he needed to be fired because they're foreign under Derek King right now. Okay, so at the end of the day, when I look at the goaltending, is it a coincidence that Marc-Andre Fleury became his vintage old self because Jeremy Colleton is gone? I don't, I don't think so at all. So at the end of the day, I look at the Chicago Blackhawks as a collective whole. I look at Patrick Kane. I look at Jonathan Taze. I look at Alex DeBrinkett. I look at Dominic Kubalik, who has not been playing well lately. Who He needs to do something. And then we got uh, Kirby Doc, who's actually been playing really well lately. Especially the Cat. The Cat has been playing really well lately. So this is a team that has potential. They need to be able to get out of the zone, get better in transition, get into the zone, and get pucks on net. They only had 18 shots on the Kraken the other night, and Grubauer played awful. I don't think I've ever seen him play that bad before, but, I mean, personally me, I don't think the Blackhawks are back yet. I'm not sold yet. They got to be able to beat these te- this uh, the teams in the Canadian trip right now. They got the Oilers tonight. They got Vancouver to, uh, tomorrow, and that, that's, that's a back-to-back. So you got Flurry probably playing tomorrow. You got Lankin in tomorrow, and then you got to play Calgary. Calgary and Daryl Sutter's uh, uh, defensive zone coverage, it's tough to beat. And I could see what he's doing because when you look at it on the TV standpoint, compare what you see on the film, it's very different. So the, the Blackhawks, I will say this. If they beat the Oilers tonight, you're going to have me sort of wondering, like, okay, I, I see you. You could be Ryan Nugent Hawkins. You could be Connor McDavid. You could be Leon Dreisaitl and Zach Hyman and those dudes and Mikko Koskinen. And then if you you got to beat Vancouver. They are reeling beyond belief. They are awful. I don't think I would see Vancouver this bad. And then Calgary, very good team. So I will say this. If you can go 2-1, and one, you may buy me a little bit. But you got to be two and one. If you're one and two, I, I don't think so. You got to be an elite team. The Central Division is a very good division. I got to admit. I mean, Minnesota is—they're really good so far, which I thought they would be. St. Louis—they dropped a little bit, but they're going to get back on track to beat San Jose last night. Colorado's starting to pick it up a little bit. Dallas is Dallas. I don't care. Um, and then obviously you got Winnipeg in there. That's pretty good. So at the end of the day. The Blackhawks put themselves in a bad hole at the beginning of the season. 
So if they want to make the playoffs, they got to get on a big hot streak and continue this because they got to play better offense because lately they're only scoring two goals, three goals. You got to play better. Yeah, I will just say that it's a Saturday, Sunday uh, back to back. So they actually off tonight. There's only two hockey games. Oh, it's tonight. tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Saturday, okay. Sunday. But I mean, you talk about how they have to start. They have to get on a hot streak, and I think that streak starts now. I honestly think this is a team that could go toe to toe with the Oilers. I really do. It, you know, it's good for you. It's a team that can beat the Coyotes. The Blues can't beat the Coyotes, but we don't, we won't talk about that. Um, anyways, I've really very enjoyed. Alex DeBrinkin, I'm obviously I don't like the Blackhawks as a St. Louis fan. I really don't like them. But DeBrinkin, he's always on my fantasy team. He's been very, very good for the Blackhawks ever since he came into the organization, basically. Uh, Patrick Kane, he's also been very good as well. So I, I think that this is a team, though, that could go toe-to-toe with the Oilers tomorrow. Obviously, Fleury, very, very good player. And it's, it's actually kind of funny how he is very good now ever since that Colton left. But I don't find it a coincidence. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I think that... Just the one big, big outlook here is that Blackhawks fans now have a new coach in King, and he's got his team a win streak. Yeah. All right, we're going to end this uh, show here. We're with a really quick question here. So we talked about the AFC. Let's talk about the NFC real quick. I want simple answers and simple answers only. So, Ryan, I'm going to start with you. Who gets that seventh seed in the NFC? Oh, the seventh seed. Um, ah, Man, that's a tough one. Maybe I got to go with, uh, I mean... I don't know. Maybe maybe the Vikings. That's that's a shot, though, because the Vikings have been good. But I think that there's going to be two teams that come out of the North, the Packers and someone else, and that other team is going to, I think, barely sneak in because the Packers are running away with that division. Absolutely. I'm going Vikings, too. They play everyone close, largest losses by seven, and they will steal a few games that they shouldn't. They play the Rams. They play the Packers twice. So steal a couple. Watch out for the Eagles, though. I know as crazy as that sounds, at four and six, they have a very easy schedule down the stretch. And for whatever reason, they just seem to play good in games that they shouldn't, especially at the end of the games. They're garbage-time kings. But they, they've won a couple in a row. They make things close. Watch out for them. Could very awesome see the 49ers do it. I actually did have the Eagles for me, personally. Um, but I am cheering for the Vikings. I did, t- I did tell you that. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to have the Eagles. On that note, we're going to end the show here. Guys, thank you for joining me today. Um, and that will conclude today on Around the Waves. KCOU 88.1 FM, and everyone, have a great Thanksgiving break, and we will see you after that. You are listening to KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM.